Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. And uh, I hope this week's incredible for you. I hope there's no traffic jams as you get into the mall or the outlets or Target or whatever it is that you're going to uh, this week. If, you, if you've ordered all of your stuff on Amazon, I hope they bring it all to your house and that you leave goodies for the FedEx or UPS or USPS or whoever and that you leave traps for the people that would try to steal it off your front porch while you're gone during the day. But I just hope you have a great week. I hope this coming week as you lead towards next Saturday is filled with everything that you hope Christmas can be. Christmas is a magical season. It's an awesome season, and I hope it's filled with togetherness in some form. And uh, that's my prayer for you. There's a lot of great things that are happening at our church and that are coming up in our church over the next few weeks. And I just want to hit a couple of those real quick. It doesn't need to sound like an infomercial, like you need these knives. They cut through pennies, whatever. I want it to sound like something that you can put into your phone, your calendar, and be with us. On Friday, it's Christmas Eve. And what we wanted to do for you, we're not going to gather together in person, but whatever your Christmas Eve looks like, we did want to come and join with you. And so all day long on our YouTube channel, we're streaming a Christmas Eve service. Uh, It's available to you at any point for you to stream it to your television or to the device that you may choose to do so. And so we've got some Christmas carols. I'll be sharing the Christmas story. So if you've got a bunch of stuff later in the evening, you can join us early in the day. If you've got a a lot of stuff early in the day, you can join us later in the evening. But just go to our Generations Church YouTube channel and just join us for Christmas Eve. It's about 15, 20 minutes tops, and it's just a great time to be together. And then next Sunday, we celebrate the 26th with one holiday kind of service schedule of 10 a.m. We'll actually do that the next two Sundays. So on the 26th and on January 2nd, we'll gather at 10. So if you're here at 9.30, normally come at 9.30. You're going to be a little early. The coffee will be warm for you. And our 11 o'clock folks will need to come a little early. But 10 o'clock, we'll celebrate together next Sunday for the 26th. And next Sunday for our G-Kids, it's a pajama party. So let them come in their PJs, Christmas PJs. They'll have a great time as well. And then uh, starting on January the 2nd, there's a couple of really great things that are happening. So again, kind of lock in with me for a second. If you've tuned me out, you're checking Facebook. Just lock in with me for just a second. January the 2nd really does begin a really special season for us as a church. On that day, we gather together at 10 o'clock, but it starts our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do this every single year, 21 days of prayer and fasting. So we're going to gather on that Sunday and kick that off. And all month long, we're going to, or during those three weeks, we're going to kind of meet together. So Monday through Friday from 6 to 7 a.m. here in our worship center, we'll meet together for prayer, some worship, a short teaching. Uh, And then on Saturday mornings, those three weeks, we'll gather together from 8 to 9 a.m. And then on Wednesday nights, just those three weeks at 7 p.m. So I would love for you to be at all of those things, but I recognize that may not be possible. So Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 a.m., you can jump in with us for a little bit. We get you out on time if you got to get to work or to school. Saturday mornings, maybe before ball games or before you go to Home Depot or wherever you're going for that day, 8 to 9 a.m. And then on Wednesday nights, we'll gather together, do something very similar, but we'll also take communion each of those three Wednesday nights Together, So it's going to be a great 21 days, and it coincides with us kicking off a new series on January 2nd called Miracles in the Making. A couple months ago, we sat down, some of our pastoral staff, and we were really praying through and seeking what the Lord would have for us in 2022. And I felt a very special prompting from the Lord for us to begin the year seeking the miraculous, 
asking God to perform miracles in our lives, whatever those miracles needed to be. And when I talk about miracles, I'm talking about what is it that only God can do? We've done everything we can do. What is it that only God can do? And so we're going to ask God in the month of January across those four Sundays to do the things that only he can do in our lives, in our families, on our jobs, in our finances, whatever that looks like that you're asking God to do. So during our 21 days, we're going to be reading scriptures that talk about the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels. And each of those Sundays, we'll talk about one of those kind of miraculous types of stories. And every single one of those Sundays and on Wednesday nights, we're going to be praying for people that need God to do a miracle in their life. And so I want you to be with us during the month of January. I have a very high sense of anticipation for what God is going to do in January. Now, maybe you're like, that kind of freaks me out. I'm not really sure I believe that, Pastor Jeremy. Well, come and be with us. I promise it's not something that you should be scared of, worried about. It's not something that's going to feel hokey. We're going to ground it all in the word of God and really seek for God to show up in our hearts and in our lives and in our circumstances. And I believe that all of us will experience something new and fresh in the month of January. So we want you to be with us starting on January the 2nd for all of those things. All right, so everybody ready? You feel like, all right, I'm gonna buy the knives. I'm gonna get the knives. I don't have any knives that cut through my pennies. Not not all of you get that joke. That's okay. It's really funny. You just missed it, but it's all right. So you're gonna have to lock in with me today. All right, so just turn and just shake somebody beside you. Go, hey, lock in with him. Lock in, help him today. All right. So today we are celebrating Christmas and we're doing so by looking at the Christmas story in in a sense. We started this last week And last week we looked to Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 and we were talking about all the various details of the Christmas story and how in the early days of the life of Jesus, he was a little bit of a nomad. Like he was a little bit on the run. We talked about the fact that he was born not in the place where his parents, uh, his earthly parents really lived, but where his earthly father, his stepfather was from. And there was a census, and so he had to go there. So he was kind of born out of place. And then because of what Herod was trying to do, they had to escape to Egypt. And they spent somewhere between a few months and maybe up to two years in Egypt. And then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and they get permission to come back home to Israel. And so we talked about this idea that he was kind of on the run. There was really no place for him to land, no place for him to live. And we said that if you have ever felt a little bit out of place, if you've ever felt a little bit on the run, if you've ever felt like you didn't fit in, then you could identify with the early days of Jesus, this baby born in a manger. So if you continue that Christmas story. You've got your Bible there. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. We're just really going to read two verses here, and then we're going to read a bunch of other scriptures that are not in this same place. We'll come back to Luke 2 at the end. Most of this will be up on the screen. But in Luke 2, we see that after all of this has taken place, beginning in verse 39, we see that Jesus's parents had Mary and Joseph. They brought him to the temple. And in the temple, he, he, he interacts with a couple of people that, that had been prophesied they would see him. It's this really special moment. We're not going to read that today, but this is a lot like kind of our child dedication. We did this just two weeks ago. We try to do that, or we have it on the schedule for every month. If you want to have a child dedicated, it's not really about saving that child. It's honestly committing ourselves and recognizing the gift of God that children are to each of our families and to our church family. That's what's taking place here in one sense in Luke chapter 2. And this is what we read in verse 39. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. So they returned home, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They returned back home and it was there that the child grew up with wisdom and favor. He grew up. He didn't stay a baby. 
Now, I know some of the families of our church, and I know some of you, you're in the baby phase. Some of you are in the potty training phase. Some of you are in the toddler phase. Some of you are in the grade school phase. Some of you are in the middle school phase. Some of you are in the high school phase. Some of you are in the college phase. Some of you are in the empty nester phase. That was an amen spot for some of you right there, right? You're like, we did that. We got the T-shirt. Okay, we're done. So I don't know what phase you are in. But I don't know how often we think of the Christmas story and we think of Jesus as a toddler. Like, what was three-year-old Jesus like? I know what three-year-old Isaac's kids were like. (laughs) They didn't have a lot of Jesus in them at that point. You understand what I'm saying? And so I don't know how Jesus as a three-year-old behaved. Like, what did did the interaction between Mary and little little three-year-old Jesus sound like? Like, like what what did that look like when six-year-old Jesus smarted off to his dad. I'm sure he didn't, except the Bible tells us that he was 100% God and 100% human. And most six-year-olds, 100% human, they smart off every now and then. They say some things. So what does six-year-old Jesus look like? What, what, does middle, what does seventh grade Jesus sound like in your mind? I don't know. <laughs> all we know, all of that is summed up here and that the child grew up healthy, and strong, and he was filled with wisdom. I'm assuming that means after seventh grade, right? And God's favor was on him. The baby didn't stay a baby. Why? Because God's plan was not just about a baby. Now, God's plan included a baby. He could have actually sent the king, the conquering king, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. He could have sent the Messiah in any form that he chose to. And yet he chose the form of a baby. But that baby didn't stay a baby. That baby grew and it grew into, he grew into a man. Why? Because the plan of God wasn't just about the baby. The the plan of God was that that baby would grow up into a man and he would live a blameless and sinless life on the earth. And then he would willingly give up his life as this once for all time sacrifice for all of humanity, for me, for you. And Jesus did that. We see that prayer in the garden at the end of his life. We're not going to read it, but in that garden of Gethsemane where he says to the father, he said, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass me by, please let it. And then he has that moment of submission that makes all the difference in the story when he says to the father, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever it is that you have chosen, the plan that you have enacted, I want to see that plan come to pass. Well, what was that plan? Like, why is Christmas important? The story of Christmas is actually one small part of the larger story of God's redemptive plan for mankind. You and I, whether you feel like it or not, you and I all need to be redeemed. We, we all need to be forgiven, and we all need to receive the mercy and grace and forgiveness and love of God. And here's what happens. Some of us are very aware of that. And others of us have been around it so long and we experienced it so long ago that we've forgotten just how bad we might have been. But every one of us needed redemption. And God, in knowing that, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to the earth in the form of a baby that eventually grew into a man who submitted his will to the will of the Father so that he could go to the cross. Why? Because the story was never meant to be about Jesus' life on earth. 
because the earth was not Jesus's eternal home, and it's not yours, and it's not mine either. As my grandparents used to say when I was a kid, we're just passing through. There's, a, there's an old song that talks about that. It's the idea that's found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 that says this, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Everybody say that. My citizenship is in heaven. Say that. That's a great reminder for us. Maybe you just jot that in the margin of your Bible. Maybe you just stick that in the notes of your phone just to remind yourself that when the world is pressing in on you, when your eyes are filled, when your ears are filled with all of the news of the day, when you see all of the antagonistic behavior that is taking place around us that seems like the norm, you and I are not citizens of this place. Now we are. Whatever your passport says, it's right for now. But we are citizens of heaven. And you and I should never get too comfortable with the way things are here. The way things that are progressing here, we were created for something more. We were created for something far beyond all that we can see. Because unfortunately, the world that we live in is filled with sinfulness and sickness and disease and deceit and perversion and nastiness. And we aren't exempt from it. Heaven forbid that any of us feel like because we go to church or because we give in a legacy offering or because we serve or because we're kind of good people, we're better than some people that we see perhaps, that we would think that we have it all together and others are the ones who need the redemption of God and, and we don't need that. But James chapter 1 warns people just like us, says this in verses 26 and 27 of James 1, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If we aren't careful, we turn all of this into something that it was never intended. We turn all of whatever this is, and I include things outside of this building, things outside of this room, and maybe you have a good devotion life. Maybe you have a good group that you do life with. Maybe you have a good family. Maybe you feel like your, your arrow is pointed towards Jesus, and that is the right thing. But if we're not careful, we make it about something that it's not. We all need redemption. This world is longing for a savior, and God knew that. God wasn't reacting to the condition of the world. God, in his foreknowledge, in his forethought, he was enacting a plan. And all of the things that we read in scripture, they were a part of the plan of God. Now, I know when we say that, man, it feels like there's no way. <clears throat> we think there's no way that that was the plan of God. And anytime that I say something similar, I have someone stop me in the lobby or somebody to send me an email and they ask for clarification. And here's all that I mean. God knows all things. We read that in scripture. He, he can know everything that ever was and anything that ever is and anything that ever will be. And God in his patience, we read this in 2 Peter, in his patience, he has allowed for humanity out of our own free will to do the things that we desire to do. We are led astray by our own desires sinful desires of our flesh. If we're not careful, we don't constantly die to the flesh and the sin nature that we possess and seek him in all of our ways. 
But there is coming a day where he will judge all that is taking place. In his patience, he is waiting for the gospel to reach all the ends of the earth, to reach every person on the earth, every person that will be on the earth. In his great patience, he is waiting. But he must punish sin. And he knows that. And he knew that. And that was the purpose of Christmas. Every single one of us requires redemption, requires forgiveness. And you're like, okay, I've got that. You've been talking about that. But James reminds us that we are to be unstained from the world. I want you to think about that just for a second. I'm going to stop talking just for a second. I just want you to think about what does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like to be stained by the world? How many stains of the world are you carrying right now? How many stains of the world could I see if I had lunch with you? Could I hear? How many could you see or hear in me? The stains of the world. That's not what we're called to. The blood of Jesus redeems us, saves us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But can I sound like an old fiery preacher for just a second, it's becoming more and more difficult to tell the churched from the unchurched. It's becoming more and more difficult to tell the saved from the unsaved. Why is that? Because we have allowed ourselves to become stained by the world. And more so than abstaining from those things, we have allowed what we have called religion to be about the things that are not relationship with Jesus Christ. But they are much like the things of the Pharisees and the Gospels, where on the outside we think we have it all together, but on the inside we are not doing the things that matter because we are not living lives that are redeemed. The world is continuing to get worse, and it will continue to get worse before it gets better. Aren't you glad you showed up to hear that good news today? It's going to get worse before it gets better. And so every time I hear a Christian lamenting all of the things that are taking place around us, I'm like, this is what we believe. This is what I read. That God has enacted a plan. And all of the various people that do not believe in him are doing the same thing that the Old Testament folks did. Whatever seems right in their own eyes. And as that takes place, the world itself falls further and further and further away from Jesus Christ. And so what are we to do? We are to stand firm in love. Not to take on the stains of the world. We should not sound like those who are falling away from God. We should sound like those who are standing firm in the truths of God's word. All of our lives, if we're not careful, can be persuaded and convinced and begin to sound like the tenets of opinion and newsmakers and not the truths of scripture. And my fear and I put myself right at the front of this. My fear for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers, and I'm only speaking to a segment of the room or segment of those watching online, I know, is that we are quicker to repeat what others have said than to repeat the truths of what God has said. And can I just say to you, 
My heart is burdened. My heart is broken. Because the message of Christmas is that God is in control. And so whatever's going on around us may feel disheartening. It may seem scary. And Jesus knew that. And so he says to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He he says to them the opposite of what they were hoping, the opposite of what we're hoping. Like, would you just take all the trouble away? He's like, no, not yet. He says, you're going to have trouble, but don't worry because I've overcome it all. Just trust me. Just press into me. Just lean into me. Every time you get scared, turn to me. Every time you're unsure, turn to me. And then he actually shows us what's next. It's back in John 14, verses 1 through 6. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We talked last week about the fact that Jesus didn't have a home. And so here in John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm actually going to go home now. And I'm going home to prepare a place for you so that you can come and be with me. He says, if, if it weren't so, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a big deal about it. And he says, listen, you know the way. You've got the map. And I love the disciples because they make me feel normal. Thomas, old doubting Thomas, who later would say, hey, if I can't see the scars in his hands and the scars in his side, like, I don't think that it really happened. Like, I don't think he actually appeared to you guys. Like, this is a doubting Thomas. Maybe you can identify with old doubting Thomas. He looks at Jesus when Jesus has just proclaimed, hey, you know the way, you've got the roadmap. Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. Like, was that, did we miss that study guide day? Like, how did we, I don't know what happened. Like, we don't know where you're headed. How, How are we supposed to know how to get there? And Jesus says, you know how to get to the Father. You come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's so often in moments just like that in Scripture that we forget that the man who proclaimed that was the baby in a manger. He says, hey, the reason for Christmas is exactly what I'm describing to you. The reason for Christmas was to get me here to get you there. That's the reason for Christmas. The reason for Christmas was God sent Jesus to the earth to get us to heaven. That would have been a good spot for an amen right there. You missed it. You missed a couple earlier. I didn't want to make a big deal about it, but that would have been a really good spot for an amen. The reason for Christmas was so that God could send Jesus to earth so that you and I could get to heaven. There you go. You didn't miss it that time. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't compromise who God is calling you to be. You're meant for more than the mess that's going on around us. It's so easy to get dragged into it, isn't it? It's so easy. But you and I are meant for more. We're called for more. We have a place that is not what we see with our eyes. We are citizens of heaven. Don't get pulled into Facebook arguments. 
Don't get pulled into it. This week, when you sit with family, don't allow all the junk that somebody wants to talk about to be the junk you're having to talk about. You know what you could be talking about? The hope of Christmas. That's what we have access to. The story of Scripture, the hope of Christmas, the baby who God sent to earth so that we could be reconciled back to him. I thought about, like, how could we end this? I talked about a lot of things. I've circled the wagons a bunch of different times. Like, what is the end of the Christmas story? Okay, like the child grew up. He became a seventh grader and a twelfth grader, and he became a young man, and he apprenticed with his father in carpentry school, I guess. And then he went and called the disciples, and he was baptized, and he did ministry for three years, and then they arrested him, and he went to the cross, and he went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and he appeared to a bunch of folks, and then he went to the father, and it's like, where does this thing end? Where does the story of Christmas end? If you take your Bible and you flip all the way almost to the end before you get to the maps, it says this in Revelation 21, verse 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the home of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is creating a home for us and he will dwell there with us. And I don't know how you interpret all of the various places towards the end of the book and all of the various foreshadowing from maybe the middle portion of the Old Testament of the book about what that place may look like. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I know what some of the places say and I know what some better preachers than me talk about when they talk about it. I don't know. I don't know how much of it's literal and how much of it's figurative, but I believe it's a real place. But my favorite thing about that place are the words that we just read. There's gonna be no more tears. I've cried some tears. I've cried some tears and pain and agony and heartache and heartbreak. That won't exist there. There'll be no more pain. You ever felt pain? Anybody you know ever felt pain, broke your heart? No more pain there. No more mourning. I hate mourning. Not mourning time, I love the mourning. I hate the agony of mourning loss. I'm thankful for the promises while we live here on the earth and we have to walk through moments like that, that he's close to the brokenhearted. I'm thankful that he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I'm thankful for that, but I'm also thankful that he's gone to prepare a place where there will be no mourning and no crying and no pain because he declares, behold, I am making all things new. It's the end of the Christmas story because it's kind of the beginning of forever. I mean, we're living in it now and it's, it's headed that direction. But ultimately I'm thankful that God is in control. 
that the baby of Christmas became the man of the cross and that the man of the cross eventually becomes like the ultimate tear wiper. He he becomes the one who takes mourning and turns it to dancing and he takes crying and turns it to laughter and he's making all things new. I'm, I'm waiting for that day. I'm longing for that day. My citizenship of heaven is longing for that day. There's some things that have taken place here in this place, not in this room, but in this existence, this life that I'm living that leaves me hurting. And I long for that day more and more. Maybe it's my age, maybe it's the older that I get, I'm not sure, but I'm thankful for Christmas. That the baby's birth eventually, as he grew up, led to his death, which makes it possible for all of us to be born again so that we can spend eternity with him. I'm thankful for that. That's my prayer for everyone in the room, everyone watching online. We're gonna give you a chance to respond to that in just a moment. But what is it that we're supposed to do between that moment and that moment? Like between salvation and eternity, the, the new city, whatever. Like, what is, like, wouldn't it be awesome if it was just like the moment you were saved? Pfft, you're in heaven. Beam me up, Scotty. There we go. Like, what is it we do in that gap? Back to Luke chapter 2. Verse 52 says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And this week I wrote this question down, really more for me than for you. But as I was preparing and reading through my notes last night, I I sent it to the guys to throw up on the screen for us. It says this, how are you living on earth to prepare you for heaven? Like, how are you living? How am I living on earth to prepare for heaven? How am I living now? You and I who know this story to be trustworthy and true, we should be on the lookout for those who are crying and mourning and in pain and we should speak life to them and hope to them. There's enough doomsdayers and doomsayers and enough evil speakers. There's enough fear and worry out there. And here's the great reality. We've already read it today. In this world, we're gonna have trouble. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. The baby in a manger didn't stay a baby. He grew up into a man to be crucified on a cross. And the plan of God continues on going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment, just in a personal response to all that we've seen and heard today, all that we've experienced. Nobody's looking around, nobody's talking just for a minute, just to kind of reflect on all that God may be saying and doing in our hearts. And if you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I recognize that I need a savior. I need him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. I don't wanna take one more day outside of a relationship with him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I wanna pray for you. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Several hands today. If you're watching online, I encourage you, just drop that in the chat. Let us know. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation. It's I'm living in that gap. I've already been saved. I'm waiting on whatever is to come next, but I wanna speak life and hope and the story of Christmas to those who are in need, those who are hurting. 
If you want to commit yourself to that today, would you lift your hand? My hand's lifted right now. Thank you so much. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to respond. It's not just something to hear, but it's something to put into our hearts and lives and put it into action. So God, I pray for every person that lifted their hands to say, I need God to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. God, we thank you for forgiveness and I ask you to accomplish what only you can accomplish. God, we thank you that eternity awaits those that have just responded in this moment. Eternity with you in this place that you've prepared. God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, I wanna be a, a hope speaker, a peace giver, a life giver. God, would you help us to do that, to declare the truths of the Christmas story to those that need to hear it. We commit ourselves to this anew today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.